to be back in the chapel this morning and again this evening and again uh, what is that for uh, let me thank you again for your for your prayers and support and for particularly allowing me to speak today and focusing on the work of the 2 Timothy 4 trust I want to speak a bit about that during what I want to share with you from God's word but uh, let's just begin by asking God to help us and will you join me in praying together Lord, thank you for the reminder from your word already that you use people to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to share the gospel. And we're again amazed about that. We're sure our neighbors would be much more impressed to hear the news from an angel. But angels can't preach the gospel. And so we thank you that we have been given that privilege. And as we think about that responsibility as well, we pray you will help us from your word to understand what that means put it into practice in Jesus name Amen well one of the things you always say when you're preaching sermons is begin with an illustration that illustrates what you're going to talk about and for me illustrations the best kind of illustrations are sports illustrations because I'm a great sports fan of everything except synchronized swimming and horse racing so, but I need to apologize because my wife who, wives are always the best critics she said stop using sports illustrations there are some people who don't like sport. I said, I cannot believe that. So, but an apology if you're not a sports fan, but my opening illustration is a sports illustration. So here we are, the London Olympics 2012, August the 10th. It's the four by 100 meters sprint relay semi-final. And the British team have high hopes of qualifying for the final and even high hopes for a medal behind the Jamaicans who are obviously going to win it by a mile anyway. And they run the race and they finish in second place. Unfortunately, how many sports fans knows what, know what happened? Put your hand up, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, they failed to pass the baton correctly and are disqualified to the immense disappointment of the team and the enormous crowd and my frustration. Because this is nothing new for the British Sprint Relay team. They have failed to pass the baton successfully in five of the last major championships. <laughs> they either don't pass it properly or they drop it. I just dread watching them because I know what's going to happen. Now, sad though that is, there's a far more serious failure which the Church of Jesus Christ faces potentially in every generation, including ours. And that is a failure to pass on the baton of the good news of Jesus Christ to the next generation. If you were here this morning, we thought about the elderly Apostle Paul in his last days sitting in a prison cell awaiting execution. He wasn't concerned about his own future. He knew that he was about to get the thumbs down from Emperor Nero. But he knew that an award was awaiting him from the only court that really mattered. He writes, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. That's 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. But what he was concerned about was to pass on the baton successfully to the next generation. And so we thought this morning he charges young Timothy, this young protege, his son in the faith he calls him, to pass on the baton to preach the word. Paul's concern then should be the concern 
of every church in every generation. For if the gospel is not passed on successfully, then it fails, it falls at that generation. And if you know the history of the church of Jesus Christ, this has tragically happened in many places in the world. If you know your Bible in the book of Acts, you know the story there. If you know the book of Revelation that... It begins with letters written to seven churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which are now Turkey today. All of them disappeared from the scene. Islam came in 7th century onwards and wiped out the churches. North Africa was a great center for the church of Jesus Christ. The church was wiped out because the church failed to pass on the gospel in that generation to the next generation. And that is really the reason for the focus of 2 Timothy 4, the trust I've been directing for four years, to strengthen Scottish preaching by strengthening Scottish preachers. Uh, just for those who are interested in this and have been supporting this, um, we've been attempting to do this. We're running workshops for preachers. So we, we run workshops often in this church, in the lounge, very kindly allows to use it rent free. Um, and uh, we run workshops on different topics for preachers, and we gather preachers together. Sometimes 20, 30, 40 preachers come together. Uh, we've not only been doing that in Scotland, we've been doing it in other parts of the world as well. Many of you will know us in India for two weeks at the end of uh, January. And uh, as well as doing everything else, I ran a workshop for preachers in Lucknow in North India. Also run workshops in Bolivia, Malawi, Mozambique, Cape Town, Romania, Papua New Guinea and Hong Kong. Uh, so uh, you get to see the world with this as well. It's been good. I've also been teaching preaching in three colleges in Scotland. Uh, and I've been mentoring around 15 preachers, including, uh, there's a picture, it's not a very good picture, I think Fraser's on there somewhere, hiding away. Yeah, there he is, yeah. Uh, 15 different preachers. Uh, but as we met as a trust in January, the, the trustees, uh, Graham Watson here is, uh, I'm very grateful for him, he's uh, one of our trustees, but as our trustees met together, our ambition, we realized for this next two years, if God willing, as I continue to get older and older and weary and weary, um, uh, uh, our aim is not just to mentor preachers, but to mentor preachers who will mentor preachers. In other words, to leave a lasting legacy of people, a lasting legacy of mentoring, on the conviction that every preacher can become a better preacher. And so this morning we focused on 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. This evening I want to focus on this theme in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. So it could have been called the 2 Timothy 2 trust, which uh, sounds good. Two Timothy, yeah. Anyway, uh, and I want to focus on the priority of what we could call making mentor-makers, ment-making, let's say it again, making mentor-makers, but to use the biblical term, making disciple-makers. Uh, so it's just one verse we're going to focus, well we're going to focus on two, but let's look at this one verse, this is the key verse. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. He says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, will you notice this is like a relay race? That's why it's a good illustration, I think, anyway. Uh, even though it's a sports illustration. Well, you notice there are four links in the chain, four relay runners in this verse. Now, if you look at it at first glance, it looks like there are only three links, three runners. Paul to Timothy. Timothy passes it on to reliable men. Reliable men pass it on to others. But there is a first and essential link in the chain, a first runner in the race, which is implicit, but absolutely 
essential. What's the first link? The first link, the first link in the relay race is from Jesus to Paul. You see, it's easy to jump to the assumption that the first link in the chain is from Paul to Timothy. He says to him, pass on the things you have heard me say. But we need to step back a moment, and it really is important to, I'll take a little time on this, but it really is important to step back and ask, where did Paul get these things that he's telling Timothy to pass on? Was he the first runner in the race? Did the race start with him? Was he the originator of the message? In a letter he wrote to the Christians in the Roman province of Galatia, Paul claims otherwise. Here's what he writes about the origin of his message. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 1, 11 to 12. Uh, now, it's one thing for Paul to make this claim. Can it be verified? Well, if you read that opening chapter of Galatians, we don't have time to look at it in detail. Paul goes on to say, maybe in response to people who are saying, who is this guy Paul who's preaching? He's not one of the original apostles, disciples of Jesus. As far as we know, he never met Jesus. How can he claim this? So he says, after my conversion, I went up to Jerusalem to acquaint myself with Peter and the other apostles. And then even after preaching for some time, 14 years probably after his conversion... After extensive gospel preaching, he, he tells us, he, I went up to Jerusalem to check things out for fear. In, interesting illustration he uses. He says, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. That's Galatians 1. If he has, then the race is lost at this point. At the first stage. However, Paul says, the apostles concluded after extensive discussions that we were preaching the same gospel message... Rather that Paul had a commission to preach the gospel to Gentiles, to non-Jews, whereas the apostles were focusing on Jews. So, what Paul taught was what the apostles taught. Indeed, Paul describes himself in the first verses of this letter to Timothy, to Timothy itself. He says, I'm poor, he writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. In another letter, he writes about this calling as an apostle. He lists the essentials of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection appearance of Jesus, because an apostle had to be someone who'd seen Jesus, the risen Jesus. He says, then he, that is Jesus, appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So let me just pause here and summarize. What the apostles taught was what the apostle Paul taught, which was what Jesus taught. Now, why do I mention this? Well, because if you've been around as long as I have, you will know that like Halley's comment on the own a lot more frequently, a certain teaching emerges that says, oh, Jesus taught a very simple gospel message. And then along came this fellow Paul who was a really bright guy and he just complicated everything. And so really there are two religions. There's the religion of Jesus and there's the religion of Paul and they're quite different. Now, frankly, you don't need to be a careful Bible, well, you, just a bit of Bible study of looking at what Paul wrote and what the gospel records record, you'll find there is no disparity between these two things. 
that the message Paul preached was the message of Jesus, the message of the apostles. You've got to get the first leg right first, which is why I'm taking some time about it. But secondly, we need to be sure that what we're passing on, what is being passed on, is the apostles' teaching and nothing more. There are also those who claim there is additional teaching to what the apostles taught. Those who believe in what's so-called apostolic succession, that still today they're apostles like the first century apostles. And what they taught can be added to the truth. No, it's one simple message. What Jesus, what the apostles taught, what Paul taught, cannot be added to, must be passed on intact. And so in the opening chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, you need to guard this gospel. This is what he says. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and loving Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's the first part, the first leg. That must be our priority. Or the race is lost, we're disqualified at this first leg. But that is not all. As we return to our verse in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, we must not guard the gospel by locking it away. I was looking at my notes and I noticed some years ago, I used to be asked to speak regularly when I was the pastor here at the, at the Christian unions until my wife stopped me because she said it wasn't good for my blood pressure for reasons that will become apparent um, and I got an invitation to speak at Edinburgh University at the CU and they said would you speak on, uh, on this verse we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the real power belongs to God and not to us great I said I've preached 34 sermons on that theme so I thought great and, and this, this, you'll see why I get my blood pressure rises the week before, two days before it, I get a message from the CU saying, we'd like you to preach, uh, we're looking forward to your preaching, we've been publicizing it, and the title we've given to your talk is, God Safe, It's You and Me. So I'm going, what? The title, you're all thinking now, aren't you? What has that got to do with that? God Safe, It's You and Me. And I was scratching my head and thinking, God Safe, It's You and Me. What does that mean? Is God Safe? not safe eventually I worked out I had to check it out I worked out what they were saying was that God has got a safe where he keeps the gospel locked away and it's you and me now you need to be a rocket science student to work that out wouldn't you I mean I mean you know and you'll see why my blood pressure rises with these things so so I went along and said uh, thank you for inviting me to preach and you've given me enough title so I'll give you a better one you know but it's fine but, uh, but the point I'm making is the gospel you guard the gospel not by locking it away you guard the gospel by passing it on so here's the second link from Paul to Timothy Paul tells, him, tells Timothy back to our verse we're going to focus on the, in on this verse he says the things you have heard me say Paul says to Timothy you've heard this from me it's pretty clear that Timothy first heard the gospel when Paul was on his first missionary journey and Paul turned up with his companion Barnabas uh, at the town of Lystra where Timothy was living as a young man. His mother and his grandmother were Christians, believers. But it's almost certain that Timothy became a Christian when he heard the gospel through Paul. And he saw Paul suffering for the gospel. Uh, Timothy opens the letter by saying to Timothy, my dear son, he wasn't his physical son, he was his spiritual son in the faith. Um, later on we read in Acts chapter 16 that Paul came back to Lystra and he recruited Timothy as part of his missionary team to travel with them 
preaching the gospel. So here's young Timothy going along with, with Paul, carrying his Bible, sorry, carrying his scrolls or whatever. I don't know what he did exactly, but, but he, he would have heard Paul preach again and again. He would have heard him preach the gospel. And later on, on many occasions, over many years, he was one of Paul's closest companions, hearing what he said, how he lived. Paul reminds him of this in 2 Timothy 3, the, uh, the next chapter he says to, about Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. He says, Timothy, you've heard it firsthand. And now Timothy is serving, Paul has delegated Timothy, as he writes from the prison cell in Rome, Timothy is now a pastor preaching himself in the city of Ephesus. And Paul's concern is that Timothy should remember what he heard. He says, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, speculation about who these witnesses are and some very strange theories. But it seems to me the obvious meaning is that when you heard me preach the gospel and when you heard me teach and preach on these numerous occasions, it wasn't just me and you in a one-to-one -one group. One-to-ones are great, but Paul said, you, you heard many other witnesses, many other people were present. Why does Paul mention that? Well, perhaps for two reasons. First of all, these witnesses could attest to the accuracy and authenticity of what Paul is preaching. In court, you need witnesses to verify what they saw and heard. If it's truthful and accurate, it should corroborate one another, confirming what was said. But perhaps Paul mentions it as well to stress that what he preached was open and above board, available to all who would listen. He, Paul preached openly, not secretly. You see, there are already those infiltrating the early churches, and you get them today as well. You become a Christian? Ah, lesson one. We've got some deeper secrets. Here's what's the real secret of the Christian faith. Never buy a book that says the secret of the Christian faith. Because there isn't one. It's, it's open and true. Paul will have none of this. The clear, the clear proclamation before many witnesses ensures that the message is clearly understood and then clearly passed on. And when people hear Timothy preach and teach, if there were those who said, Timothy, what you're preaching is not the real gospel, there were other witnesses who could say, well, actually, I was there as well, and this is exactly what Paul preached. He's preaching the truth. So it's important to hear the message, to pass it on authentically. So the baton is passed on from Jesus to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, and then Tim, he tells Timothy, don't stop there. Don't just preach your best sermons. Pass it on to reliable men. What's Paul's great concern as he awaits execution? Not just that Timothy should remember his sermons. He doesn't write and say, Timothy, you remember that great sermon I preached in Pisidian Antioch? And I know you weren't there, but I, I, I preached a real good one to that, those intellectuals in the city of Athens. You can read it in Acts 17 when he hadn't got it written by them. But anyway, but you know, he wasn't concerned to leave a legacy of his, I was joking this morning, there are 850 of my sermons on the website in Charlotte Chapel. I think he should take them off, by the way. I mean, you know, I don't want to leave a legacy in Charlotte Chapel. He left 850 sermons. I'd like to see a legacy of gospel preachers who carry on preaching the same message. And so, Paul says to Timothy, those to whom you pass on the message should be entrusted to pass it on safely. That verse, guard the good deposit, the word deposit is the noun from the verb entrust. It means to, to guard it carefully and pass it on intact. And you should choose people who are reliable, that means dependent. 
safe pair of hands, people who will not be like the British relay team and drop the baton. I think Paul is probably thinking, if you know this letter of 2 Timothy, in the opening chapter he talks about two church Christians who proved unreliable. They had the unforgettable names of Phygelus and Hermogenes. I've dedicated lots of children in this church, but I've never dedicated a Phygelus and Hermogenes for very, for very good reasons. That They don't have a good reputation. They deserted Paul in his hour of need. But there was one man, who we also mentioned in the opening chapter, and I've never dedicated one of these before, but we ought to, who was called Anesiphorus. I mean, you wouldn't want your kid to go to school and be called Anesiphorus. But he was a great man who came and visited Paul in prison. He proved reliable. It's those kind of people you want. It's one of the marks of Christian discipleship, especially of Christian leadership, is that people are reliable, dependable, consistent. Uh, Paul writes about in his letter to the Christians in Corinth about these kind of people. He says, So then men ought to regard as the servants of Christ, as those entrusted, here you are, same word again, entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And Timothy and every Christian leader must be always on the lookout for, for men who are reliable. It's one of the requirements to be an elder in the church. If you read what Paul wrote in his first letter to Timothy and in his letter to Titus in the New Testament, that you need people who are reliable and also, secondly, he said, who are qualified to teach. The word qualified means those who've received a good training. Fraser did the training at Faith Mission. If you've ever got a, a if you can manage to take a day a week off and do a diploma, it's a great way of getting an entrance to someone like Faith Mission. Uh, not because I teach there, but it is a good course. Just up the road in Gilmerton, it's not expensive. If you can take a day out of work to do that, it would be a great opportunity to learn more. You want to receive a good training to be qualified. If you want to learn to drive, you want to find someone who's a qualified driving instructor. A person who's conversant with the highway code and the cars and how to... But that's not all. The driving instructor also has to have the ability to pass on what he knows or she knows to other people to become good driving instructors again it's a qualification for an eldest what Paul writes about elders in Titus 1 verse 9 he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it so Timothy is to entrust what has been entrusted to him to pass it on to reliable men who are qualified to teach others so now we come to the fourth and final bit of the baton but it's not really from reliable men to others others who are reliable and qualified and here the illustration breaks down because the relay isn't a four person relay I don't know what the generations would be from the first century to today, but it's thousands of people. As the gospel is passed on down the generations, as we continue to pass it on, the baton is passed on from one generation to the next generation. The verse is open-ended. And the potential for multiplication is enormous. Years ago, this challenge was brought home to me in a little booklet written by an American, you, the older people may remember his name, but probably most young people don't know, he's a guy called Dawson Trotman. And he was a man who was focused on discipleship. He had a remarkable influence. Uh, he died at the age of 50. Dr uh, he died trying to, uh, he managed to save someone from drowning, but died in, uh, at the age of 50. And Billy Graham spoke at his funeral and said, I cannot think of anyone who has influenced more people than Dawson Trotman. And the little booklet he wrote was called I've got a picture of it somewhere, Born to Reproduce. 
and he writes about the potential of passing on and discipling other people and the premise behind it he observes that let me read a little bit he observes that in every church there are men and women who have been Christians for 5, 10, 20 years do not have any spiritual children he proposes that each person should begin by praying for one person he can lead to Christ and then teaching him or her for the next six months he writes as follows this applies to men and women here this is so this first man at the end of six months has another each then starts teaching another in the following six months at the end of the first year there are just four of them all right you have to follow the maths here right and i'm relying on his maths at this point okay stay with me so the four of them get together have a prayer meeting and determine let's not allow anything to sidetrack us let's share the gospel with a lot of people but let's check upon one person and see that person through now next slide so the four of them in the next six months each find another that makes eight at the end of the first of a year and a half they all go out for another at the end of two years there are 16 see where this is going those who are doing maths at university right okay at the end of three years there are 64 the 16 are doubled twice at the end of five years there are 1024 and at the end of 15 and a half years there are 2,147,500,000 people, which was the present population when he wrote this of everybody over the age of three. But then he writes, and stay with me, he says, but wait a minute, supposing that after the first man, A helps B, and B is ready to find someone while A starts helping another. B is sidetracked, doesn't produce the first man. Fifteen and a half years later, your two billion is cut by half. Now, I know it's maths, and I know it's not logical like that, all right, but I'm simply, it simply made the point to me, the enormous potential for multiplication. And surely there is truth in what he writes as well. He says, I believe that is why Satan puts all his efforts into getting the Christian busy, 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 but not reproducing. See, we need, not only need to make disciples, but make disciple makers to pass on down the generations. Now, you will notice that if I finish here, I've made an elementary mistake in preaching. Lesson one in preaching is a verse without a context is a pretext. And you'll notice coming back to our verse that it begins with the word and, which links it to what comes before in 2 Timothy 1 verse 1, which describes the source of our strength to do this. Paul the father speaks to Timothy the son and encourages him. He says, Timothy, you then, my son, be strong. But that's not all he says. John Stott in his commentary on 2 Timothy says, If the exhortation stopped there, be strong, it would have been futile, even absurd. He may as well have told a snail to be quick or a horse to fly as command a man as, to, as timid as Timothy to be strong. But the exhortation doesn't stop there. Paul tells Timothy and us there is a source of strength that will enable us to do this the only source of strength not in himself but in the grace that is in Christ Jesus you then my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus a little bit of grammar the verbs be strong three things about it is passive it's grace that we receive secondly it's an imperative if you did grammar at school that means it's a command not an option thirdly it's in the present it's a continuous experience now most Christians most of us know that we're saved by grace I hope you do through faith if you're not a Christian it's the only way you will be saved you'll never make it yourself past tense but grace God's love and favor which we do not earn or deserve is a present ongoing experience 
for it is a present and ongoing need for every Christian we're not only saved by grace we serve by grace and not by our own strength and Paul could testify to this in the verses we read about his testimony how he became an apostle he talks about this effective grace in his own life he says but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect no I, wo I worked harder than all of them yet not I but the grace of God that was with me it's the only way we'll make disciples and make disciple makers it applies to all disciples of Jesus we're to make disciples who become disciple makers and specifically here he's talking about those who preach and teach God's word so let me leave you with a challenge especially to those great to see so many young people here those of the younger generation it doesn't exclusively uh, apply to the younger generation uh, in our faith mission class this year it's good to have Riaz with us for one term uh, Riaz has been a preacher for many years but he's still learning more about preaching it's great to see Riaz um, but let me talk to those of a younger generation and let me share something for your encouragement when I when I started this in 2009 uh, a, a group of young students who were all recent graduates in fact some of them were still doing their final years or PhDs at Harriet Watt University and one or two from Edinburgh University from different churches there were about a dozen of them meeting in a student flat and they came to me and they said we've always wanted to we all feel we'd like to learn how to preach would you come and help us how to do this and I said great that would be wonderful so I'm always up for a bacon roll early in the morning, as you've already heard. Uh, and so we met in this student flat, and I spent a whole day with them. Uh, and then we found a little church in, in, uh, in Edinburgh, the Ichthus Church, which is the Chinese young people's church, where they speak English but not Chinese, thankfully. And they were asked to go and preach there regularly. So we, we had a planning day. We ran a day down here in the chapel. And these are young guys like you who've never preached before, most of them. All right. So we met down there and we said, right, let's preach through 2 Timothy. So I did a training day with them. We divided 2 Timothy up into sections and they agreed that each one of them would preach one Sunday after another. And being, uh, being techno geeks and everything, they said, we'll film it as well, which was even better because I normally just listen to sermons. So they filmed it and we've got this dedicated website so I could watch it as well. It was very interesting watching preaching as well as listening to preaching. And then I would watch the sermons, um, and then I would say to them, I never send sermon reviews or comments just by post or email. Uh, so I always say, let's meet for a coffee or a bacon roll. And uh, this is a great ministry, the bacon roll ministry, 2 Timothy bacon roll. Um, so we, we, we normally meet in Starbucks on the corner of Cattle Street and, uh, and George Street. And then I would share a written review with them and we'd talk about how they could preach it better. And then another church over in Fife, a little brethren assembly said, we're too poor to employ a pastor. Could, could these young guys come and preach? They said, we'll preach the same series again. So they preached it again and preached it better the next time, amazingly truly uh, and they did this and it was such an encouragement to see these young guys and we're still going strong we're doing parables at the moment okay um, but it was great but let me tell you something that was even more encouraging uh, last October I was preaching at the induction service of a pastor who was being commissioned for the work of the gospel and uh, I preached at this little church and it was great encouragement and afterwards a man came up who'd be kind of I'm guessing now he's probably in his late 30s 40s something like that and he said thank you for your sermon he said I'm learning to preach 
I said, great, how are you learning to preach? She said, I'm in Mark McGill's preaching class. And I just smiled and thought, thank you, Lord. So you don't want to know who Mark McGill is. I don't think he's here. He's going to try and get here. Mark McGill is a student who graduated from Heriot as an actuary. He was in the preaching group that did this preaching, these preaching sessions. And then, because he was looking for work, he runs his own actuary business, whatever that is. It's, and and, and, uh, and uh, uh, so he went, to, he went to live in Bristol. So I thought, goodbye, Mark, nice to see you. This is true. After three months, he wrote to me and said, I've joined a church here and I've found another dozen young men who'd like to learn how to preach. He said, can you come down and do a day with us? So I went down, did a training day with him. I said, look, I cannot keep commuting to Bristol. I need to find a local pastor who they got alongside them. And he's been running this preaching group. And the guy that I met last October was the guy who said, I'm learning to preach. I'm in Mark McGill's preaching class. Isn't that amazing? It's great. It's a great guy, is Mark. Um, I took him with me to Malawi in Mozambique. Uh, where we had the privilege of teaching, I think some pictures of that somewhere, and yeah, there was Mark up there. Um, and uh, we had a great time down, uh, visited two colleges in Cape Town, preached there. Mark even got the opportunity to preach with a translator. So he, uh, he likes that, and I can say he's got an international ministry, you know. Um, but, uh, but when he moved to Bristol, he didn't give up there, he carried on. And, you know, it's wonderful to see how, how that continues. So let me, let me leave a challenge with some of you, you young guys here uh, this evening. You know, may, have you ever thought maybe God might be wanting you to preach his word? We need a new generation of preachers. You say, well, how would I know that? Well, the only way to do it is to Try speak these guys are preaching for the very first time and uh, and yet you know God is using them because God's grace is sufficient for that so here's something practical if you think that's something that you think to yourself I might be interested in that listen if there's enough guys here if there's six of you well okay there's a handful of you here we'll run a thing down in the lounge for you and I'll, 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 I'll spend a day with you to, I've done a basic workshop on how to preach it's very practical you work in small groups and do things. I'd love to do that you want to join our group? Well, we'll can find some small churches around Edinburgh that are, that are willing to gladly listen to young people learning how to preach. You've heard of a church over in Fife with a handful of people, little FIC church. FIC church. They haven't got a pastor, and the, the director of FIC said, is there any way you could send some young guys over to preach over there? And there are needy churches. So here's a challenge to leave with you. That maybe God would be calling some of you to do that. There's only one qualification, though. And with this I conclude, really. The only qualification is that you know the gospel yourself and that you're a Christian, a believer, that you're convinced about the gospel. It's gripped your heart. It's transformed your life. If you're not a Christian, then this is the first step you need to take. It's the most important step of all. Because you're never going to preach the gospel unless you're convinced about the gospel and it's transformed your life. So here's the challenge. To equip preachers to preach God's word, to pass on the baton to other people. And early at the end. To preach the word. And here's our verse for us. Just for you to think about, reflect on. Um, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. We need a new generation of preachers. And maybe you could be one of them. So may God bless you in that. Let's just pray for a moment, then we'll sing a song.